When I was a teenager growing up in southeastern Oklahoma, from time to time I would attend a charismatic church on Sunday evenings. Sunday mornings I attended the Baptist church in town, and Sunday nights I would attend a charismatic church because one of my friends attended there and, and I would go. Whenever I attended there, I noticed that the prayer would often be, God, give us more of the Holy Spirit. Give us more of your Spirit. We want more of your Holy Spirit. And I remember thinking as a teenager, why, why would they need to pray that? Do we not have all of the Holy Spirit whenever we become Christians? I mean, does God not give all of Himself to us? Does God withhold any of Himself to us at salvation? Why would God withhold the Holy Spirit from His children? Why would I need to pray, God, give me more of your Holy Spirit? And why would He withhold His Spirit from me? Hi, I'm Dr. Greg Ammons. Welcome to Truth 101, a podcast where we look at the Christian faith in a systematic, orderly way, and we're looking at the doctrine of the Holy Spirit in this 300 series. And we have seen so far the, the works of the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit does, how the Spirit purifies and unifies and reveals and empowers. And in this podcast, I want us to consider the, the thought, the concept of the Holy Spirit's evidence in the life of a believer. Is the Holy Spirit's evidence stronger or weaker in some Christians than in others? Does God withhold His Spirit from us? And whenever we get saved, exactly how much of the Holy Spirit do we get? Do we get more as we go along and we grow in our faith? Is it gradual or exactly how does the filling of the Holy Spirit come upon us and happen? So that's what we'll be talking about in this podcast. First of all, I would like to say that the Bible teaches whenever a person becomes a born-again believer in Jesus, they receive all of the Godhead. They receive all of God they're going to receive. They receive all of Jesus there is to receive. They receive all of the Holy Spirit there is to receive. We are filled with His fullness, Scripture says. So I believe it is a scriptural teaching that whenever believers trust the Lord, uh, Jesus Christ, for salvation, at that moment we get all the Godhead in entirety, in His fullness. We get all of God, all of Jesus, all of the Holy Spirit. And we're filled with the Spirit at that moment. All that we'll ever receive, we get at that moment. Now, as we go along, there are times whenever our lives, we are sinful and we don't need to be saved all over again, but maybe we need to repent of our sins and be filled with the Spirit again. So, I guess the main question is, not does, do I need more of the Holy Spirit? The question is, does the Holy Spirit need more of me? I think that's a more appropriate question because at salvation, we get all of the Holy Spirit that we need, all the Holy Spirit there is. 
But sometimes as I go throughout my life, the Holy Spirit needs more of me. Now, let's start looking a little further at the Holy Spirit's work in the life of a believer and and being stronger or weaker in some persons than in others. There are a lot of examples in both the Old and the New Testaments that indicate the Holy Spirit will bestow blessing or withdraw blessing according to whether or not he is pleased by the situation he sees. This has nothing to do with how much of the Spirit you have. This has everything to do with the Spirit either bestowing blessing or withdrawing blessing based upon what he sees. For example, Jesus, completely without sin. And the Bible said in John 1, the Holy Spirit remained on him. And it says in John 3, 34, Jesus was given the Holy Spirit without measure. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came mightily upon Samson several times. Judges 13, Judges 14, Judges 15. But ultimately, the Holy Spirit's power left him when he continued in sin, Judges 16, 20. In fact, one of the more powerful verses in the New Testament, sad verses in the New, or rather Old Testament, Judges 16, 20, Samson went out to shake himself at other times because the Philistines were upon him, thinking, I have the power of God to defeat them. And the Bible says he did not know that the Spirit of God had departed from him. Doesn't mean the Holy Spirit had left him and was lost. The the, the Hebrew verb literally means to turn the power off. It's like you're turning off a water faucet. The power of the Spirit was withdrawn from Samson. Similarly, when, when Saul in the Old Testament persisted in disobedience, the Holy Spirit departed from him. The power was gone in 1 Samuel 16, 14. And when the people of Israel rebelled and grieved the Holy Spirit, Isaiah 63, 10, the Holy Spirit turned against them. So it is obvious that the Spirit of God, we have the full Spirit at salvation, but the Holy Spirit will bestow blessing or withdraw blessing based on what the Spirit sees. Now, let's look at three actions that believers take that displease the Holy Spirit and cause the power of the Holy Spirit to be lacking in our lives. Three actions that we take that displease the Spirit. First of all, the New Testament talks about the Holy Spirit can be grieved. We can grieve the Holy Spirit. And whenever we grieve the Spirit, this Holy Spirit ceases to bring blessings to us in our situations. Stephen, for example, Acts 7, 51, rebuked the spiritual leaders and he told them, you always resist the Holy Spirit. Paul warned the Ephesian Christians, Ephesians 4.30, do not grieve the Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. To the Thessalonians, Paul wrote, 1 Thessalonians 5.19, do not quench the Spirit. And that was a, the, the metaphor of same one that was used in Song of Solomon, chapter 5, verse 3 and verse 6, delaying the opening of a, of a door and therefore, therefore disappointing one's lover, as, as it was the image in, in Song of Solomon. 
So failing to open the door of your heart and life so the Holy Spirit can work in you and through you. Now, in a similar way, Paul gave a serious warning to Christians in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, not to defile their bodies by joining them to a prostitute. And he said, because the Holy Spirit lives within your body. Listen to 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Paul wrote, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Whom you have from God, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Do not do anything, Paul was saying, that dishonors the Holy Spirit that is living within you. So don't grieve or quench the Spirit. That's the first action we can take that displeases the Spirit. But here's a second one. Even more serious than grieving or quenching the Spirit is a deeper, more hardened disobedience to the Holy Spirit, and sometimes that brings strong judgment. We can be we can be so disobedient to the Holy Spirit that we become hardened to the Spirit's moving and working in our lives, so much so that strong judgment is brought to us from God. Folks, that's a frightening place to be in. But I want you to listen. Whenever Peter rebuked Ananias in Acts chapter 5, you remember Ananias, Sapphira, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit, Peter asked, and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? And then after Peter rebuked Ananias, he fell dead. And then similarly, Peter said to Ananias' wife, Sapphira, Acts 5, 9, how is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? And then she immediately fell down dead as well. They were in states of hardened disobedience to the Spirit and harsh judgment came. A little bit farther, book of Hebrews. In the book of Hebrews, it warns those who are in danger of falling away that severe punishment is reserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God. And that severe punishment is deserved by the one who's done that. And that is from Hebrews chapter 10, verse 29. So, if a person uh, hardens their heart in disobedience to the Spirit of God, that is a situation where the writer of Hebrews says, you can have a fearful expectation of judgment. That's Hebrews 10. 27. So that's the second state. Number one, grieving or quenching the Spirit. Second of all, a, a, a more of a hardened, disobedient state to the Holy Spirit. But a third one is, this is a, 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 an action that is only taken by unbelievers, and it's rejecting the Holy Spirit's desire to bring them to conviction to faith in Christ. And that is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Now, I know this is a hot topic, and a lot of people are confused about blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And a lot of believers I've talked to are, are fearful. As a believer, they will do something or say something that is so egregious against the Holy Spirit that they, 
didn't know it, but they, unwilling, they, they unwillingly just blasphemed and they'll be lost in eternal damnation away from God. And that is not what the Bible teaches of blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit was mentioned in Matthew 12, verses 31 and 32, Mark chapter 3, 29, as well as Luke 12, 10. And here's what it says. Every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven even in this age or the age to come. Now this statement was made in the context of the Pharisees willfully and maliciously attributing to Satan the powerful work of the Holy Spirit that was evident in the ministry of Jesus. Since the Holy Spirit was so clearly manifested in the presence of God through Christ, those who willfully and maliciously turned against Him, spoke against Him, they were guilty of an eternal sin of rejecting Jesus. So those people today who have committed the sin of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is a willful rejection of the Holy Spirit's promptings to bring you to Christ, and then whenever you die, you then have committed the sin of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit because you have no more opportunities to receive the Spirit's conviction to bring you to Christ. As you read this passage, it kind of sounds like, well, you can't say anything bad against the Holy Spirit. You can talk badly about Jesus, but not the Holy Spirit. And that's kind of odd. But what he's saying is the passage is teaching us that it's the Spirit of God that brings us to faith in Christ. It's the Spirit of God that convicts us. No man can, can come to the Father unless the Spirit draws him. And whenever you reject that drawing conviction, that's why it says the Holy Spirit rather than the Son of Man. It's the Spirit that convicts you. And so whenever you reject that conviction of the Holy Spirit to come to Christ, you then have committed blasphemy. It is a willful rejection of Christ to the point of death. So many times, whenever the Holy Spirit convicted me, I didn't come to Christ the first time the Holy Spirit convicted me. I rejected the Holy Spirit's conviction at first, but I didn't die. I had more opportunities, and then I did receive the Holy Spirit's conviction, receive Christ as my personal Savior and Lord. And because of that, uh, I have not committed blasphemy, never will commit blasphemy. In fact, I've heard it said before, if you're worried about con committing the sin of, of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, that's a good sign you haven't because it is a willful rejection of the Spirit's promptings of conviction but the, and the, that ultimately leads to your death without receiving Christ. And that's why it's a sin that can never be forgiven. Now, all of these passages, the grieving and the hardened disobedience and the blasphemy, all of these indicate that we, we must be very careful not to grieve or offend the Holy Spirit, but open up our lives to the Spirit's work. Holy Spirit will not force Himself on us against our wills, according to 1 Corinthians 14, 32. But if we resist and quench and oppose the Holy Spirit, then His empowering will depart and remove from us the blessing that God had for our lives. Now, in the time that we have left, I want us to go to the flip side, and I want us to see in Scripture the times 
in the life of believers whose conduct was so pleasing to God that the Holy Spirit brought great blessing to those lives. Let's look at some of those. The Holy Spirit was poured out in fullness at Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. And now the Holy Spirit dwells within all true believers, making us temples of the living God, according to 1 Corinthians 3, 16. We can know close fellowship with God, partnership with the Holy Spirit in our lives, according to 2 Corinthians 3, 14. The Holy Spirit entrusts gifts to us, gifts of the Spirit, according to 1 Corinthians 12, 11, and entrusts truth to us, 2 Timothy 1, 14, and entrusts ministries to us, Acts 20, verse 28. So, we are so full and abundant with the Spirit of Jesus living in us that Jesus called it like rivers of living water from our inmost being that gushes out. That's from John 7, 38 and 39. Peter promises that the presence of the Holy Spirit will rest upon those who suffer for the sake of Christ. 1 Peter 4, 14 says, If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the Spirit of God and the Spirit of glory rests upon you. Therefore, it is important that all our ministry be done and all of our lives, lives be lived in the Holy Spirit and that we consciously dwell in the godlike atmosphere created by the Holy Spirit an atmosphere of power and love and joy and truth and holiness and righteousness and peace. But greater than these characteristics of the atmosphere created by the Holy Spirit is the sense of, this, of the presence of the Holy Spirit of God Himself. Wow, what is that like? Acts chapter 9, 31, the people in the New Testament can walk in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It's possible to be in the Spirit as John was on the Lord's Day in Revelation 1.10. So live your life in such a way that you're living, as the Bible says, quote, in the Spirit, end quote. Now, it's surprising how many particular activities, if you look at the New Testament, surprising how many particular activities are said to be done in the Spirit. For example, we are to rejoice in the Spirit, Luke 10, 21. We are to resolve or decide to do something in the Spirit, Acts 9, 21. We are to have our conscience bear witness to the Holy Spirit in Romans 9, 1. We have access to God through the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 2, 18. We pray in the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 6, 18. We are to love the Holy Spirit, Colossians 1.8. So in light of all of these passages, we must ask ourselves, for how many of these activities each day am I consciously aware of the Holy Spirit's presence and blessing? Which ones? Do you rejoice in the Spirit? Do you resolve or decide to do something in the Spirit? Does your conscience bear witness of the Spirit? Do you pray in the Spirit? Do you love the Holy Spirit? These are actions the New Testament tells us are all done in the Spirit. Now, one more note. 
It is also possible to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5.18 talks about that. To be filled with the Holy Spirit is to be filled with the immediate presence of God himself. And it therefore will result in feeling what God feels, desiring what God desires, doing what God wants, speaking by the power of God, praying and ministering in God's strength, and knowing with knowledge which God himself gives. So friends, to be filled with the Spirit of God is to have an immediate presence of God in your life that results in in thinking, acting, valuing, as does God. Therefore, in our Christian lives, that's important, I believe, to depend upon the Holy Spirit's power. Recognizing that any significant work is done not by might, not by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord of hosts in Zechariah 4.6. Paul is emphatic in telling the Galatians that the Holy Spirit was received by faith in the beginning of their Christian life, Galatians 3.2. And the Spirit would continue to work according to their faith in their life, according to, to their faith, Holy Spirit would work in their lives subsequent to conversion. You remember Paul asked, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Galatians 3, 3 and 5. Does he who supplies the Spirit to, to, to you and, and works miracles among you, are you doing this by the law or by hearing of faith? And so Paul is very adamant in saying, now that you're saved by the Spirit, don't try to continue your life in the flesh. And I know so many believers that they, they try to do that. They, they, they're saved by grace, but they want to live their life by law. They're saved by the Spirit of God, but they want to continue living in their own power and own flesh. And they, you can't do it. Your salvation is a work of the Spirit of God from beginning to end. And so you get all the Holy Spirit on the front end of your salvation and then we are to walk in the Spirit of God throughout the rest of our lives into eternity. So, is the Holy Spirit stronger or weaker in some people than others? Absolutely yes. So make sure you live your life submitted to God, submitted to His Holy Spirit's power, so the Holy Spirit can work in you and through you. But as far as salvation goes, you get all of the Godhead at the moment you're saved that you'll ever get. All of God, all of Jesus, and all of the Holy Spirit. God bless you today. Appreciate you joining us, and we will see you next time as we talk about more of the Holy Spirit's work in the life of a believer. God bless you.